Do you ever feel anxious? Maybe a better question would be, does that feeling of dread, fear, or worry ever end? Does the knot in your stomach ever fully disappear? The tension in your chest, does it, does it ever really relax? The doubts, the what-ifs, do they ever stop? If not, then you may have anxiety. Anxiety is fear. Normal, run-of-the-mill fear. But it's fear that never stops. See, fear happens when danger arises. Like a saber-toothed tiger is trying to eat you. But when the danger leaves, because the saber-toothed cat has moved on, you go back to being calm. With anxiety, that doesn't happen. At least not very often. Being anxious means you are in fear mode most of the time. If that sounds like you, stick around and let's talk. Hey, I'm Brett, your favorite shrink and the host of Anxious. This podcast is produced by The Gathering of Good People, a nonprofit dedicated to helping you grow emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. I want to start this podcast by sharing a little bit of my struggle with anxiety through my life. My most early memory is a recurring nightmare, right? It's a good start, right? The nightmare goes like this. I, I would always be in this room. The room was completely empty, and I was stuck back in a corner. And the floor was a checkerboard of black and white squares. Pretty large squares, actually. And the floor, you know, this is a dream, so what can I tell you? The floor kind of slanted up, almost all the way up, to touch the ceiling in the one corner that I was tucked in. And in the room, there was a ball rolling back and forth from corner to corner. And, and when it was across the room, because the floor sloped down, the ball seemed small and safe. But then the ball rolled, rolled back towards me, and it grew huge. It felt like I was going to be crushed. But then it would roll back to the other side again. Back and forth, the ball would roll, frightening me and then moving away. I don't think I could ever remember a time growing up when I wasn't anxious, which is an interesting thought because I don't remember a lot of my childhood. Yeah, I have the kind of normal, what we call infantile amnesia, uh, where your brain doesn't remember a lot of stuff from early childhood, but I don't remember a lot of anything because I don't think there was a lot of good stuff to remember. My parents divorced when I was five, six years old, and I remember a few incidents or scenes where they would be fighting. I remember once I tried to 
jump in the middle of the fight and try to break them up. And then they both got mad at me and sent me off. But I don't think it was like an awful life, like terrible things were happening. A lot of neglect, uh, a lot of just kind of being left, left and abandoned. But not a lot of necessarily physical abuse. But that, that neglect and abandonment was fertile ground for my anxieties just to grow and grow and grow. I think it was about the age of 10 when my dad finally took me and my twin brother to a doctor. And it was only because I was, I was losing large clumps of hair. Like, I remember they were, they were like the size of quarters. Clumps would just fall out of my head. And if you could see me now, I'm quite a bit older than 10. I don't have a hair problem. I got tons of hair. But back then at 10 years old, I was losing it fast. And it was at that point that the doctor kind of just examined everything that was going on and said, hey, this kid's got anxiety. And the sad thing was there's nothing I could really do about it because the medications for anxiety back then were things like Valium, Vicodin. And they couldn't give that to kids. It's way, way, way too addictive. And so I basically just learned to just suffer through it. Well, I kind of want to share my journey in sharing my story, kind of how I finally got over it, how I finally dealt with my anxiety, because I think the journey, the process that I went through is kind of similar to the phases, the stages, the, the process that you're going to go through as you learn to deal with and have been learning to deal with your anxiety. For me, creating change in anybody's life, and, and let me just kind of say this, I, I have been a psychotherapist for 30 years, and it's my anxiety that really drove me to psychotherapy um, because I was seeking answers that I never got myself when I was a kid. But in, in my psychotherapy, I find my clients going through three phases. First, there's the identification of the problem, which is an essential piece, because if you can't see there's a problem going on, and if you can't see the patterns that are going on in the problem, you're never going to be able to change it. So the first part is to be able to see what's happening inside of you and understand it. The second part is to learn to interrupt the pattern. And, and there's been a lot of psychotherapy and a lot of techniques I've learned along the way that have done really well with helping me interrupt my anxiety. And that's a really great tool for, for kind of help, helping cope with the anxiety. But it, it really doesn't create a lot of permanent change. I think where change happens is in the third phase. And the third phase is installing new patterns. So first phase, identifying the patterns that aren't working. Second stage, interrupting the patterns that aren't working. And third stage, installing, creating new patterns. And that's kind of been the progression I've gone through in my life. And that's kind of what I want to highlight as I go through my own story, because it's also going to be the process that I'm going to take you through 
as we go through this podcast anxious. Now, I brought us up to about 10 years old, and the years from 10 to 20 were pretty much just kind of more the same. A lot of abandonment, a lot of neglect, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. And about 20, I started to look into some psychotherapy. Um, Interestingly enough, my dad was a psychotherapist. He started as a pastor and through the years kind of graduated and moved into pastoral counseling and then into psychotherapy itself. And so because I can recognize my own needs for dealing with my anxiety, I started to gravitate in the same direction, started moving in the same way. And uh, about 20, I started looking at individual therapy. And I can't say the individual therapy I got was super useful. Um, in, In my mind, there's always two kinds of therapists in the world. There's the therapists that are really good at listening the really supportive therapist. They nod their head a lot and they go, mm-hmm. And they ask really kind of open-ended questions like, how does it make you feel? What was that like for you? And it just kind of gets you to, I think, really identify the problem, which, again, is phase one, and that's useful in itself. But I was looking for more. I was looking for the second kind of counseling more the kind of counseling that I do, which is providing solutions, providing answers, providing steps and processes and tools, techniques to help people both interrupt their old patterns, but also to install new patterns. And so my years of psychotherapy was was interesting, but I really was left wanting. So I ended up doing more, looking for more. That's where I started to move into the second phase of learning to interrupt my anxiety. So after I graduated from college, my first job was to work in a psych hospital, which tons of great stories come from that experience. Uh, But one of the things I did in the psych hospital was I started to check out biofeedback. We had a a biofeedback unit in the in the hospital that just really helped people deal with stress and anxiety. And biofeedback is is a way to kind of hook people up to monitors and machines and help them begin to look at what their body's doing and then begin to interrupt that, create change in that. So in in learning about biofeedback, I learned a lot about relaxation and relaxation training. And that's basically what I was doing, was teaching my clients how to relax um, as they were trying to deal with anxiety, stress, fear, stuff like that. The nice part about that job was that as I was helping my clients relax all day long, I was relaxing all day long. Now, as I was doing the biofeedback, neurofeedback stuff, um, I noticed something really interesting. I noticed that my patients were going into trances. I was hypnotizing them. And and I thought, okay, wow, this is kind of interesting. Maybe I should learn a little bit more about hypnosis. And I had done some hypnosis in high school. Um, Again, my dad was a therapist, uh, just learning how to become a therapist. 
And so he would actually use me as a guinea pig to do some of his hypnosis, his practicing his hypnosis. So it, it actually helped quite a bit in, in my high school years. So I thought, I, I'm going to start learning some hypnosis myself. And so I started learning Ericksonian hypnosis and uh, also something called NLP, Neural Linguistic Programming. Um, those kind of interventions were really, really helpful because they were super targeted at helping me taking my negative patterns and creating these, what I call now, interrupts. Interrupting the, the negative thought patterns, interrupting the negative emotions and feelings that were going on with the anxiety and fear. And, and it was really, I thought, uh, I thought it was life-changing at the time because it, it was giving me huge relief from my anxiety, which I was so desperately think, uh, needing. So learning how to relax, learning how to do the neurofeedback, biofeedback, and then learning how to do hypnosis and self-hypnotize myself and also begin to change my thinking patterns was amazingly helpful. And it, and it really kind of stabilized my life. Well, as I was going through my doctoral program, um, things got a little bit sideways in, in my own marriage and relationship. And at one point, I actually had to put my doctorate on hold and, and really focus on my relationship um, because it was at that point I was going to lose the relationship. And, and there was a shift at that point in my career because now I really started to work and understand couples and relationships. Now, this seems like a little bit of a sidetrack. You know, first I'm working on anxiety, now I'm working with couples. Um, but it was really a useful time in my life. I did it for probably 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, wrote a book, You Can Be Right or You Can Be Married. And, and I think the pieces that I've learned there in the couple's work I, I even play now in my individual work with myself and with my clients and with the couples I work with as well, obviously. But one of the things I really learned in working with couples was about love. We, do, we, we know love is an essential piece to any relationship, but we don't know what love really is. And so in those years of working as a therapist with couples, I began to really explore love and understand it better. And what I've seen and what I begin to understand is that love is simply the free gift of our attention. That when we give our attention to somebody fully and completely, it creates a connection with them. It creates a bond. It creates a closeness that, that builds a relationship, that builds a connection like no other. And we all are really familiar with the, um, the book, uh, The Love Languages, The Five Love Languages. And really what that book is about is five ways, five prominent ways that we give attention. We give attention to each other. But it always comes back to this gift of attention. Two things really came out of that learning about love. One is it really helped heal my relationship and helped build a better and stronger relationship with my spouse. But the second thing it did was it taught me about the balance of love. 
There's an ancient scripture that talks about um, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And actually, I call that the law of love. And the law of love is, is essential for all relationships. We always have to be in balance, loving ourselves and loving others. And being able to understand what love is was so important to helping me learn to love myself, to, in essence, learn how to bring attention to myself. Because that's what love is. So that, that piece, understanding love, understanding relationships, understanding the balance of love, is, is going to be a core piece for me as I move on, but it's also going to be a core piece for you as we work on helping you and learning about your patterns as well. Well, as the decades progressed, and, and that's one of the wonderful blessings of being older, is I get to you know, learn all kinds of different techniques and, and specialties and just kind of learn and grow and evolve as a person as well. And so as I learned and grew, I started to study something called positive psychology. Positive psychology is a really interesting branch of psychology because positive psychology doesn't look at pathology. All of our old psychology systems has studied psychology only from the point of view of pathology, looking at mental illness, you know, looking at depression, looking at anxiety, looking at schizophrenia, looking at bipolar, and then from there kind of extrapolating what our psychology is really made up and made about. But positive psychology doesn't look at pathology. Positive psychology looks at healthy people, people that are happy, people that are balanced, people that are living life. And it looks at, well, what are they doing and how are they doing it? And that was a really great breakthrough for me because I have been so stuck in, in learning about um, pathology and mental illness that's kind of where I became locked in. Um, in that model of looking at positive psychology, I started to see things differently. I started to think about maybe this whole idea of pathology, maybe this whole idea of seeing ourselves and seeing others as ill or broken or disturbed in some way, isn't that useful? And I started to see people as whole and healthy and just perfect the way they are, but, but they have dysfunction, and the dysfunction isn't about being broken or isn't about something's off in their chemistry and their brain's imbalance, but something's of, stuck in their own growth that they're stuck in old patterns. And until we can identify the old patterns, interrupt the old patterns, and begin to install new patterns, this was the way to create mental health. So that model of, of seeing people as not sick or not pathological, again, was a significant shift for me. And then I began to, through that model, of not seeing emotions as broken or or kind of dysfunctional, but seeing emotions as healthy, I began to really study what are emotions? 
And again, here I think is a really significant breakthrough that I, I made in my own career, in my own life. And I started to really look at the truth of emotions. What emotions are, and this is kind of sad and pathetic to say, but for psychology, for, for the, the whole field of neurology as well, nobody really knows what emotions are. If you ask a psychologist, psychiatrist, anybody, you know, what are emotions? They'll, they'll be able to tell you that emotions are kind of these reactions or responses to our environment. But that's not even really true because each one of us has our own unique emotions, reactions, and responses to the environment. You and I can watch the same movie and have completely different reactions to it emotionally. So it's not just a cut straight, you know, hey, you have a stimulus and then that stimulus produces this emotional response. But the other thing that's wrong with that definition or looking at emotions is just a kind of a neurological response is that it doesn't tell you what emotions are. It tells you what stimulates emotions. Okay, your environment stimulates emotions. Probably your brain chemistry stimulates emotions. Um, childhood, thoughts, all those things stimulate emotions. But it still doesn't tell us what emotions are. So the next great breakthrough that I made in my life was to really start understanding that emotions are energy. Really, literally, emotions are electrical signals produced by the brain, particularly the limbic system, produced by the brain and emitted down through your nervous system, your central nervous system, and then out through your peripheral nervous system. And, and emotions drive us. They, they motivate us. They cause us to act and react to circumstances and situations. They... They are the power source of our lives. And, and so starting to see emotions as this electrical energy that's emitted through my brain was really, really helpful. Here's why. When you think about emotions as electricity, as an electric signal, well, what we begin to understand is that there's two things that that make up electrical signals. Two things that make them change and, and varied from one signal to the next. One is the amplitude of the electrical signal, and the other is the frequency of the electrical signal. And so what, I, what I'm beginning to understand is that all of our emotions, anger, hurt, fear, sorrow, anxiety, are just electrical signals with a particular amplitude and a particular frequency. Now, that may not sound significant, just the way I'm describing it, but it's huge. Because if I could, if I could understand the amplitude and the frequency of a particular emotion and then alter the amplitude and frequency of that particular emotion, that electrical signal, I could change my emotions, which is huge because now I can start shifting the energy. I can start, I can even install, create 
any emotion I want by just simply understanding how this different energy and frequencies work and beginning to use the right energy, the right frequency, the right um, amplitude to bring on the emotions. So in simple, simple, simple terms, anxiety is high energy, high amplitude waves that are really tight and compact into high frequencies. Usually, if we go back to the neurofeedback and the biofeedback that I first started my career in, what we see in neurofeedback terms is that when I'm in an anxious state, my brain is producing lots of what we call beta waves, which are high frequency, high amplitude waves. As I start to calm and relax, my brain starts to generate different kinds of waves. They start to and uh, generate alpha, delta, uh, these lower frequency waves. And as I bring my brain into these lower frequencies, I start to feel calm. I start to feel relaxed. It's a simple neurological response. Now, as I'm starting to study the neurology of the brain, I'm starting to understand how these electrical signals are, are working in terms of affecting my emotion, that became one of the most significant techniques I'd ever learned for anxiety. Because up until then, I had always kind of, if you could picture a scale from zero to 10, I was always on this quest to drop the scale from 10 to nine to eight, and even down to seven, maybe six. And at that point, I became satisfied. I became like, okay, good. I'm off that 10 scale. I'm feeling so much better. You know, this high energy is now dropped way down. And I feel a certain amount of relief. But the anxiety was always there. And it was always kind of um, a dance because I never, I never let the anxiety drop all the way down to zero because I, I'm wired for anxiety, but I was always trying to manage it, keeping it out of a 10. And so, you know, I'm always having a little bit of anxiety, but I'm always trying to keep it not too much anxiety. So I'm trying to keep it always in this Goldilocks place. But as I learned to start understanding my energy and how that was working, I learned to start dropping my energy down to a two, down to a one, and, and starting to to eliminate all negative energy whatsoever. And in this phase of my life, and it sounds really stupid, but I started to feel normal. For the first time in my life, there were moments in my life when I would be walking down the street or be driving my car and I'd be like kind of checking myself out in terms of my energy and feelings, what's going on inside. And noticing, gosh, I feel good. I wonder, I wonder if this is what if this is what normal people feel. <laughs> I laugh at that because I've never felt normal. I've always felt certain level of anxiety. And my my whole career has been about managing that level of anxiety, but not fully getting rid of it. Not until I started to understand the energy and started to understand that I needed to really 
get rid of this negative energy completely, the, the high frequency energy that my body was producing. Um, I know when we talk about energy, we often talk about yoga and, and chakras and uh, kundalini energies and, and these other kind of energy forces. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is neurological energy, the energy that's produced by your brain. And as I started to really understand and take control of my own energy, I was able to bring it down to really what were normal levels. Well, that kind of progression was just life-changing, obviously. I just loved it. And it brought me into the kind of the final chapter of where I've been lately. And that is really understanding the brain structure as a whole. And I've really been able to understand and see the brain as a machine. And and the truth of the brain, which is that, that we have one brain, but inside of our one brain, we have five minds. And learning to really understand these five minds, particularly the emotional mind, the limbic system, but understanding these five minds and understanding what I call discernment, understanding how to, how to regulate these five minds has continued to take that transformation and bring it into really, really practical terms. It's kind of a, um, an active mindfulness that I've been learning about. Now, I want to bring it back to this podcast and about what we're going to learn here. See, the first thing that, that I want to really set aside and say, you know, this is what anxious is all about. Anxious, this podcast, is, is not about mental illness. Anxious, this podcast, is not about psychotherapy. Because I don't think you're broken. I don't think you're ill. I think you're stuck. I think you're stuck in, in old patterns. And you need to identify those patterns, interrupt those patterns, and ultimately reinstall new patterns rewiring your brain. And that's going to be the second part we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on you growing. Not, not you broken and fixing you, but you helping you grow out of these old patterns and into new patterns. Really want to help you grow emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. And the way we're going to do that, the third thing that we want to do with Anxious, this podcast, is I want to give you the really basic bottom line tools for creating these changes. You and I are made up of three things, and you're going to hear this a lot. You and I are made up of the habits we keep, the habits we practice every single day. That builds neuro pathways in your brain and reinforces neuro pathways in your brain. If we're going to change your brain, we've got to change your patterns and your habits. Second thing we've got to do is we've got to change your thoughts because you are what you meditate on. What you think about day in and day out, every moment, shapes your brain, again, neurologically. So if we're going to change your brain, we've got to change what you're thinking about all day long. But the third thing, and this is the part that I think has been missing for so long, in, even in psychotherapy, is that you are the company you keep. 
You are the community. You are the the people around you. Some people have said you are the, the sum of the five people that you spend most time with. Well, those three things are going to be our tools because those are the three things that make us who we are. The habits we practice, the thoughts we meditate on, and the company we keep. And those are going to be our tools that we're going to use to help create change in this pattern of anxious and anxiety. I hope that sounds interesting to you. I hope you stick around because I'd love to help you change as well. Hey, thanks so much for listening to my story. And uh, I hope to talk to you more. All right. Again, this is Brett, your favorite shrink. And we will talk again. Take care.